0: Post Reports is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and The Washington Post Brand Studio. From the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hi, Kevin. This is Gabrielle Kelly at The Washington Post. How are you?
1: Hey there. It's yeah, Simon from
0: the Post. Hey, it's Dave Farron from The Post. Have you got a second? This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, January 28th. Today, what happens to the love between two brothers after one does something unthinkable? And the latest round of Trump firings at a New York golf course.
2: Zach Cruz loves to skateboard. That is his thing. That is like in his bones.
3: Like I'll put on like I listen to like rap music and I'll just like just like tune the whole world out. Like I'll get in my own zone and like just start like doing tricks.
2: So Zach spent a lot of time skateboarding, I think, to get away from his home life. He was adopted when he was young, and he had this brother who had a lot of needs, basically. And so I think what Zach did during a lot of those years is just sort of distance himself. At
3: home, like, it would be like a whole bunch of drama. So like, just getting out the house and skating was good, because I didn't have to be in it.
2: He was actually at a skate park when uh, his guardian at the time drove up, ran out of her car, and told him what had happened.
1: At least 17 people are dead in Parkland, Florida on Wednesday after a former student opened fire at a high school he had previously been expelled from.
4: Uh, Nicholas, I think we spell his name, N-I-K-O-L-A-S, Cruz, was the killer.
2: My name is Jessica Contrera, and I'm a local enterprise reporter.
0: For the past few months, Jess has been profiling Zachary Cruz. He's the brother of Nicholas Cruz, the teenager who police believe committed the Parkland shooting last February.
2: 911, what is your emergency? My son is in Stoneman Douglas He said he heard noises and talks. And
0: At the time of the shooting, Zach was 17. He had already dropped out of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High. And what makes him different from the family members of most other mass shooters is that his brother didn't die. Nicholas Cruz left the scene, he was quickly caught by police, and now he's in jail awaiting trial. It's unusual
2: that Zach's brother is still living. And for him, that makes life very, very difficult and presents
0: a constant choice. Because Zach is Nicholas Cruz's only family. They're biological half-siblings, they were both adopted as infants, and after their mom died of pneumonia in the fall of 2017, it was just the two of them. And so Zach feels this responsibility to his brother, even though the shooting wrecked his life too. He used to be a normal kid who loved skateboarding and dogs and video games, and now he's known as the brother of one of the country's most notorious mass shooters. I
2: wanted to know if when your brother, when the only family you have left is this person who's done this horrendous crime, if you walk away from that, try and distance yourself, try and start a new life, try and be your own person away from this horrible thing, or if that is impossible to do.
0: And at first... It did seem impossible that Zach would be able to distance himself from what happened on February 14th, 2018. He talks about that that day in a total haze.
2: Is there anything else you you remember? Anything else you feel like I should know about what that was like? Mm. Uh. He can't even remember large parts of it. From what I've gathered from him and from public records is that...
3: They shut down, like, the street and, like... They brought, like, the bomb squad to the house, and like, they just did, like, a crazy search, like, throughout the whole house. Then we went to the station.
2: And sat for an incredibly long interview with a detective who was basically saying to him, did you know he was going to do this? When we look through his phone, is it going to show that you knew he was going to do this? And Zach says, no, no, he, he guarantees he didn't know. But then he starts to think about all of those warning signs and all of the things that he might have missed and maybe how he should have said something.
0: Nick had always been somewhat socially isolated. He would get really angry when he lost a game of Halo, stabbing seat cushions or punching doors. He was into guns and he'd walk around the house pretending to shoot things. And Nick was clearly having a tough time after their mom died. All that stuff made Zach start to think, maybe if he'd been paying more attention, not off skating all the time, he could have put it all together and stopped his brother from doing this. The
2: investigator actually tells him, you know, hindsight's 20-20, you can't, you can't blame yourself, but it's so clear that Zach's already doing that. And that's something that he, he's still living with. I mean, he constantly talks about, what if he hadn't dropped out of Stoneman Douglas, then he would have been at the school. Then maybe Nick wouldn't have come, or what if he had done this or that? I think out of all the people, he's the one who blames himself the most.
0: Has Zach ever talked to Nick about what happened at Parkland?
2: So the only time that Zach confronted his brother about what he did was actually on the night of the shooting when he was done with his detective interview.
3: They uh, asked me if I wanted to see Nick, and uh, that's all I did. And then they brought me in, and uh, I talked to him. What do you think mom would think right now? She would cry. She would cry. People think you're a monster now. A
2: monster? When Zach comes in, he sees he sees Nick, and Nick is wearing a hospital gown, and his hands are handcuffed behind his back because he kept hurting himself.
3: You remember when we were in the hospital, and I told you I had your back. Remember, my mom died. Remember, we were walking down the hallway, and I told you. You don't remember. You probably don't because you just did some. <laughs> up I told you. When you're walking down the hallway, that's just me and you want to hide your back. Alright, I know you, you probably feel like you have nobody, but I, I care about you. I literally would pour my heart out for you. I know it, I make it seem like I didn't care about you at all. I know I made it seem like when we were growing up that I hated you. I didn't like you. But truth is, I just didn't want to look like a, I didn't want to look weak. I love you with all my heart like I will tell you I'm telling you right now I love you all right, I know what you did today other people look at me like I'm crazy for even. and, and I don't, I don't care what other people think like you're my brother I, I love you I, I want I want you to you can't why are you can I hug him? Yeah.
1: As long mm-hmm. to, yeah, as long
3: as you. are I'm sorry, baby. Dude, I love you too, bro. <laughs> I know what you've gone through, bro. I'm
1: sorry, baby. That's okay, bro. <laughs> <laughs>
0: After the shooting, Zach's life changes. He'd already been living with his guardian, but now he's trying to keep a low profile. He's cooped up inside a lot of the time. When he tries to go to the barber, they refuse to cut his hair.
2: Was there anybody you were that time that you were leaning on at all?
3: I stayed to myself, like, really.
0: He feels lonely and confused. So he does something unexpected. He takes his skateboard and he goes to his old high school. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. And I think
2: he went there and he's just trying to, he's trying to make sense out of all of this. Well, seeing the school shooter's brother in the parking lot is going to scare people. And so somebody inside the school, they called the police. The police came and they arrested Zach for trespassing on school grounds.
0: I mean, he he didn't have like a weapon on him or anything. Or... No, no. And then a series of things happen really fast. Zach's bail is posted, $25 for a second-degree misdemeanor, but he's not released from jail.
2: He goes before a judge the next day, and the judge ups the bond to $500,000 because she... For
0: trespassing on a school property with a right,
2: skateboard? Half a million dollars, because the prosecutor in the case says, you know, Zach's a threat, just like his brother. She said he presents all the same flags as his brother.
0: After that, he gets transferred from jail to a psychiatric hospital. They
3: kept me a nice like, suicide-wise.
0: Though there's no indication that he ever talked about trying to commit suicide. He ends up being in police custody for 10 days before he's released. And then, weirdly, his story catches the attention of this company. It's a company in Virginia that helps people advocate against the government. And they reached out to Zach's state-appointed defense attorney.
2: The company is called Nexus Services.
0: And why is this company getting involved with this kid who is the brother of a school shooter?
2: The company wants to help Zach sue the Brown County Sheriff's Department for wrongfully imprisoning him, basically, for keeping him there after his bond was already posted.
0: Nexus Services is a company with a complicated backstory. It's known for running a service that helps detained immigrants pay their bonds. It also runs a pro bono law firm. They've been accused of exploiting undocumented immigrants who are seeking release from federal detention centers, which is something that the company's executives deny. But they've also taken on high-profile civil rights causes, suing the city of Charlottesville after violence at a white supremacist rally, suing the Trump administration to stop border separations. Again, it's complicated. But the point is that they get in touch with Zach and his lawyer. They say that they believe that he's being unfairly targeted and they want to help his legal case. And in the process, they get to know him. And ultimately, they're like, maybe it would be better if this kid was no longer in Florida. And so after they spent some time with him,
2: they came back to him and they said, hey, do you want to come back to Virginia with us? They were going beyond, we're going to help you file this lawsuit. They were saying, we'll give you an apartment for free. And you can have a job in our maintenance department and we'll give you this opportunity for a whole new life away from all of this in Florida. And so even though he had, you know, made this promise to his brother that he was going to be there for him through everything, he packed up all his stuff and you know, picked up his dogs and moved with them to Virginia.
0: And so since May of last year, Zach has been in Virginia, essentially in the care of this company. He's working with them on creating a hotline for young people struggling with bullying. He even ended up moving in with the family of the company's co-founders. It's a very unusual situation. Zach is 18 now, legally an adult. But Nexus would not allow Jess to talk with him unless a Nexus employee was there with him. Sometimes five or six people from the company sat in on their interviews. If this bothered Zach, he didn't show it. He feels like this company has given him a new life. Still, he has this feeling of responsibility to his brother.
2: Every time that Nick has a hearing, which is about once a month or twice a month, Nexus pays to fly Zach back to Florida, and they accompany him back there. He goes to the hearing, and... That's the only time he can see his brother in person. So he sits in the, in the corner of the room and he tries to make eye contact with Nick.
3: That's tough.
2: And Nick usually doesn't look over at him.
3: Times I've gone, he's like, he's kept his head down and stuff. I can't explain what it feels like in, inside that room.
2: And then after the hearing, Zach sometimes has an opportunity to visit Nick in jail. But when he goes to do those visits.
3: I can never go see him in person. Like, if I like visit, it's like on like a jail monitor.
2: They both sit behind a computer screen with a phone next to it, and they're allowed to talk to each other through the computer screen.
0: What are their conversations like? They're sort of
2: stunted because they are leading such different lives now. You know, Nick recently got, uh, like, re-arrested within jail for assaulting a guard, which means that he's on, at least right now, 23-hour lockdown. He doesn't talk to anyone. He just is in his cell alone for 23 hours. And so Zach tries to make the time that he gets to talk to his brother, like, good for his brother. Like, he says he just wants it to be, like, for that hour, you know, that he can forget about everything. But that's a little hard to do. I mean, Zach will say something like, oh, yeah, it's like snowing in Virginia. It's really cold. And Nick will say, like, it's really cold in here, too.
0: What does Zach think about the fact that the state of Florida is pursuing the the death penalty for his brother?
2: You know, it's really interesting. I mean, I, almost every time I brought brought it up, he would sort of shut down. And there was one time where he didn't, and that was after we went to one of Nick's hearings. And... You know, you could see sort of all the other people who had come to watch, people who, you know, he thought maybe were victims' families or thought were other students at the school. You see, you know, the judge, you see all these sheriff's deputies and the way that they look at Nick. And it was only after that time that he said he thinks he realizes that his brother doesn't have much time left to live. Does he think that's fair he he wouldn't say, but I think he acknowledges that it's a reality.
3: I'm am like stuck in like like loving him and like also hating him.
1: They came into work one day on a Friday, January 18th, as normal, 10 o'clock in the morning, they're drinking their coffee, they're saying hello. It's the winter time, so the golf course is pretty quiet then. They get a notice that there's a meeting, somebody from Human Resources wants to meet with you.
0: David Farenthold reports on the Trump Organization for The Post. And last week, he caught wind of something that had happened at President Trump's golf club in Westchester County, New York.
1: One of the employees, Margarita Cruz, she's a housekeeper. So she gets in the elevator, push, turns the record button on her phone.
3: Margarita, Margarita. I'm
2: so
1: sorry. And so you come out and there's a woman named Deirdre Rosen, who's the vice president of human resources for the whole company.
2: Uh, The club has conducted an internal audit of its employment eligibility verification forms, or I-9 forms, to ensure its ongoing compliance with the law.
1: And then the human resources person basically read from a script.
2: The club has concluded that the document you submitted does not appear to be genuine.
1: By law, we cannot employ people who have illegal status.
2: Unfortunately, this means the club has ended its employment relationship with you today.
1: So she taped her own firing. And you could hear her say, you know, she felt so powerless. She said, como la We were like little lambs being led to the slaughter.
0: One by one, about a dozen people were fired because they lacked legal immigration status. But the thing is, they weren't new hires or even seasonal workers that briefly slipped under the radar. They'd been working at Trump's golf course for a long time.
1: Trump has owned it since 1996. Some of them had been there almost that long. We're talking like 2001, the year 2000, things like that.
0: And these were primarily folks who'd come from Latin America?
1: All the ones we talked to were from Latin America, mostly Mexico, but a few other Central Americans, one guy from Ecuador.
0: And like, why are they just auditing this now?
1: That's the big question here. The documents that the Trump org had audited that caused them to fire these people were documents that had been on file for years. I mean, these were documents that they had given at the time of their hiring. So it's obvious that if they had cared before to do an audit, they would have found the same thing. First, I should say the Trump organization wouldn't tell us why they chose now to do it. The most obvious answer is that back in December, the New York Times wrote a story about undocumented workers who worked at Bedminster, another Trump golf club. And that sort of brought the issue of Trump employing illegal immigrants the public eye, and they seem to have been reacting to that.
0: That There is a a sense that the optics of this might have been bad because President Trump is someone who speaks so openly about the ways that people living here illegally are kind of damaging the American economy.
1: I mean, it seems like the optics are bad. The optics are the one thing that has changed for Trump Organization. Nothing about these employees or their paperwork or the law. Nothing else changed but the politics of it.
0: And when you talk to these folks who've just been fired, what did they say? There's a real
1: sense of betrayal and of being discarded. That might sound strange because these are people who also broke the law. You know, they crossed the border illegally. They obtained fraudulent paperwork. Almost all bought them in Queens. So they, they broke the law too. And so, but they they felt like they understood the way this world works. It was kind of a corrupt bargain, but it was a very common bargain among a lot of employers. So Trump Org is not doing something here that other employers haven't done. They understood that's how the system worked. That's a system that they lived their lives in. That they allowed them to raise their children in America. And now all of a sudden the other party in that, in that bargain is saying, oh, we never knew. This is, you know, we're shocked by this. And they end up on, you know, without a job sort of at, at loose ends.
0: So what's going to happen to these workers now?
1: It's a great question. They're obviously out of a job. Uh, many of them are in their 30s, 40s. They have children. A guy and his wife both work there. They have four children together. They have houses. They have rent to pay. You know, they have lives in America that now that depend on these salaries that they've now lost. And they also obviously have you know an illegal status in this country, so they're vulnerable to deportation. They're hoping. I think their their hope in seeking publicity and sort of bringing their story to the forefront is a that they'll avoid the possibility they could be sort of swept out of the country by ice before people even know what happened. The second thing they're hoping is that they can get – there you know, There are visas, special immigration status for people who are material witnesses in criminal investigations or who are important to an ongoing federal or congressional investigation. I think they're hoping to engender something in Congress or in New York State or New Jersey that will involve them in an investigation so that they actually get a car that says they can stay.
0: Because they're basically hoping that Congress investigates Trump for – for or influence? the
1: state does, yes, and that they say, "Well, you know, these people are necessary. Let's keep them in this country and actually give them some paperwork that gives them a legal status." That investigation, as far as I know, does not exist. The lawyer and the and the workers are hoping it will exist, but as far as I know right now, it does not.
0: So, how are these workers? advocating for some kind of investigation that they would be able to participate in.
1: Well, in addition to being in the media, they are also on Capitol Hill this week. Some of them have come to Capitol Hill with their lawyer, hoping to meet with Democrats in the House, who have obviously have investigative power to engender some attention there.
0: One thing that we that we hear about a lot now is a system called E-Verify that helps employers make sure that their employees are living legally in the United States. Was that something that the Trump organization had availed themselves of?
1: At this club, no. You're right. That, that's the, probably the, if you care about this issue enough to make an extra step, right? E-Verify is probably the easiest step as an employer. You can just... Enroll and then check your employees.
0: It's like a government
1: kind it's a, of It's a U.S. government database. Department of Homeland Security database and you, you enroll and then you can have an instant check on whether the social security number they provided matches the name they provided.
0: Well, the fact that he had been employing these folks for years, has Trump addressed the fact that that's at odds with with his political messaging?
1: We asked the White House. They didn't comment. We asked Eric Trump, the president's son, who's running his business what were you doing in the meantime, right? If you if you just audited and found that half of your wintertime staff was all illegal immigrants, what were you doing before? They wouldn't answer.
4: It's an emergency. It's a humanitarian emergency. Absolutely. And we are going to take care of our border.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: It's going to be done. And crime is going to go down throughout our whole country, not just at the border. And the border's the least of it. It's what comes in through the border and permeates throughout the whole country.
1: That's what's striking about this, is that Trump has made such a huge issue of a moral issue out of immigration, right? Not only is, you know, it's wrong for these people across the border, but it's wrong to hire them. You know, he said buy American and hire American. So it's it's a moral issue for employers because by hiring lower wage undocumented workers, they drive down the wages. They take jobs from legal Americans and they also drive uh, wages down for everybody. And so this is a chance to look into Trump's private conduct. When it was his money at stake, when it was his clubs, did he take even sort of the most readily available step to make sure that he wasn't participating in these, what he thinks are immoral transactions? And the answer is he did not.
0: Before we go, one more thing from Features reporter Lavanya Ramanathan.
5: Barbara Smith, better known as B. Smith to millions, was an amazing person. Still is.
4: This is Dan Gasby, and he's married to B. Smith, who is a model, a lifestyle guru, and a restaurateur in the 80s and 90s. Hi, I'm B. Smith. Welcome to B. Smith with
5: Style. On today's show, With a little help from my friends, I'll show you some great
3: cleaning ideas to get rid of your kitchen blues.
4: Back then, she was known as the Black Martha Stewart. But then, six years ago, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease.
5: And to see the devolution, as opposed to the evolution of her, is something that rocked me to my core and hurt me and took me into depths of despair and depression that no one will ever really understand.
4: Last month, Dan began posting photos on social media with a new girlfriend. And people were outraged because he's still married to Bee.
5: Come on, Bob. Come on up. We're going to get up here.
4: What makes Dan angry is how many of his online critics were assuming that he was taking advantage of Bee and her success. So he's fighting back.
5: You don't know what it's like to clean someone up. You don't know what it's like for them to lose all of their possessions or not remember your name. You don't, you don't know what it's like to be tired and have to come back home and, and can't stand coming home but want to be there and can't wait to leave. You know, you don't know those things. I had to keep living. I can't sit in a room with B and just take care of her and she doesn't talk to me. That's when I realized that it was time to try to get out of my straitjacket and have a life again, and still care for B.
4: B and Dan have been married for 26 years. Now, B has lost a lot of her language, and she doesn't even recognize him anymore. She doesn't recognize herself in photos. No, no, this way. And yet, Dan remains her caregiver. Wait, I'm still holding it by this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And so, at 64, Dan had a wife, B. And he had a girlfriend named Alex Lerner. They're attached, they're married. I
2: understand that. But, you know, I enjoy the time we get to spend together. And I am proud of Dan that he fulfills this responsibility with B with a lot of pride and a lot of dignity and commitment. And I wouldn't want it any other way.
4: B is really somebody who is being taken care of by Dan at this point. They don't have a sexual relationship. They don't have a romantic relationship. And a lot of that is because B has regressed so far that they would describe her as like a in the mental state of a toddler. What makes it so tragic and so complicated is that B isn't able to really express her feelings. So we'll never know what B wants. Lavanya
0: Ramanathan is a features reporter for The Post. The interviews for the story were conducted by Ashley Joplin. That's it for Post Reports. Let us know what you think of the show. Share a tweet and tag it with the hashtag Post Reports. And go to WashingtonPost.com slash Post to find our episode archive and links to the stories we featured today. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Post Reports is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Are you looking to learn a thing or two about getting your finances in order, saving, and investing? Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post Brand Studio. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.